0: Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from some of the top crypto researchers in the world. I'm your host, Jabs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Gonzo, also known as Super G, is in the building, and today is a very special day as we have a renowned crypto lawyer and the founder of HODL Law joining us, Fred Rispoli, is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how the SEC is already under the process of appeal for the XRP ruling cited last month, as Ripple published a new ODL-focused report explaining how XRP is a neutral bridge asset for various currency pairs. Coinbase received approval to offer registered crypto futures products in the United States as Stellar Development Foundation has purchased a stake in MoneyGram, creating a borderless economy through their payment application. And with the legal battle of a lifetime finally behind us, we break down the details, asking our special guest if Ripple may also be filing an appeal. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast... Our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, today is a pretty special day for two reasons. Number one, we got Fred joining us on this Wednesday, but number two is Merlin officially went live. So congratulations, my friend. How are you feeling? Thanks for being here.
1: Well, that's awesome. Abs, thank you so much. A big shout-out to everybody on the team. But, Abs, let me just say this. I said yesterday at a coach video as I was shouting out to the team. Thank you to everybody that I would forget somebody. And, of course, who do I forget? The guy that's making all our help videos. So I just want to give a big shout-out to Gonzo and his wife, Shelly, who have helped behind the scenes to make all those things happening. But it is a very special day today. Uh, very excited about it. Not only because Merlin's launching, but we have the man here, another fellow Italian. Forever fully in the house. I can't wait to hop into it. So let me just start like I always do. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. Love you guys and appreciate you for showing up every single day at 11 a.m. Eastern in the chat room. It's true warriors. We love you guys.
0: Thank you so much, Johnny. And we got Gonzo joining us today as well. Gonzo, he called it an Italian special, so I guess that's what it is. But how are you feeling? Thanks for being here.
2: <laughs> I'm feeling outstanding. I appreciate that, Johnny. It's all good, man. But like... I'm just super honored and privileged to be part of the team and be able to do like all the uh, videos and the education and stuff. But yeah, man, I'm super excited. You know, we we sit here and we give kind of our opinion and we do our our deep research, but anytime that we get like an actual attorney on here that can actually like give actual kind of, you know, talk about the actual law and how it's applied is awesome. So I'm all ears today. I'm super excited to have Fred on here. So it's going to be an awesome show.
0: Fred, this is going to be an exciting episode, and we know you got your warm-up round in this morning with Tony. He's another friend of the show, so shout out to him. But thank you for being here. First of all, what's on your mind, and how you feeling?
3: I'm feeling great. You know, I liked how you said I was number one, but I think uh, Merlin's a huge accomplishment. I- I'd like to probably be considered number two on that one. And I also have to come up with another rhyme for uh, Italian something. If Johnny's taking Italian stallion, I got to get something else to rhyme. So I'm going to have to spend a few days thinking about that. I could make a joke right now, Johnny, about the Italian
0: sausage, but I'm going to mute myself on this Wednesday. But guys, we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in neutral this morning, sitting at a 52. When we look at some of the daily movers, it is red across the board. KAS is up about 8%, SEI up about 9%. When we look at our Merlin Market Update, we're sitting at $1.18 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance, Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 29700 Ethereum 1800 and XRP sitting here at $0.60. Cents. But guys... We already got 134 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Freddy, or Fred, this is exactly where I'd like to start the show. Everyone is focused on the SEC's appeal and how it was filed yesterday. But I'd like to just break down some claims. Is XRP's security status being challenged by the SEC?
3: Okay, so it's not being directly challenged in this one letter that we've seen them file. Now, this is just a letter uh, of an opening letter of an opening letter. All right. It's not that bad, but it's an opening letter to the judge saying we want to file briefing on this uh, interlocutory appeal. So we don't know exactly everything that's going to be in there. You know, you don't think that they're going to be able to challenge the actual security status of XRP, but I don't put anything past the SEC to try and argue anything in their opening briefs, so they could easily do it. Now, that said, I don't think that's going to change, even if it goes to an appeal, XRP itself, the token. But, you know, the danger is always in how is it used and in what manner is it used will make it a security. You know, I, I hope ultimately it'll be in no way, but you know the judge already said institutional it was, and so that's the issue that's going on right now in the appeal. So you don't know until you see what they they start showing their full cards. But regardless, I think it's pretty well protected.
1: I'm afraid. Hey, working- I got a question, follow up for you on that. First of all, here you go. There's a great idea. Someone suggested the Italian medallion. That's actually pretty good. There you go, pretty this one day. I, I
3: saw that. I also was thinking of battalion, but then I think it's oh. too many syllables.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's too many. Um, but here's my question for you. So I thought what made something a security was the way it was pitched or sold, right? and 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 i thought the argument that the judge made was that consumers aren't buying XRP when they're doing programmatic sales from an exchange directly from ripple the company therefore there's no investment contract there's no promise of a, of a profit is it is that correct and is that what is being is that the portion that the sec is going to try and, and go after and say that that's not true
3: so basically they're going to go after on the on the um, programmatic and other distribution side with the fact that it doesn't matter if you knew you were buying from ripple or not everything was kind of out there so to speak where the the writing was on the wall that anything having to do with xrp was in reliance on the efforts of ripple that was the sec's contention anyway uh,
1: also the sec saying consumers are making an assumption that they're buying this thing because Ripple's going to do something to make it profitable.
3: Yeah, essentially. And and I don't believe that, but that's just what the SEC thought, you know, and, you know, I don't think the judge should have ruled in favor of the SEC on the institutional sales, you know, because, you know, again, the easiest thing to think about and, and there are differences in all the case law over the years, but, you know, when you think about it with, any stock in a company, you get to vote on you know company issues. You get to say, you know, I want these boards of directors. I want climate change resolutions in my company. I don't want climate change resolutions in my company. Like you get all these rights, and that's why Ripple focused on the fact that there was no real contract um, in any way, shape, or form, even on the institutional side. Um, and you know, and and. I disagree with that part of the ruling from Judge Torres, but she went another way. So the the problem at the end of the day with the talk of securities is that digital assets do share a lot of um, components of securities and investment contracts. You know, it's just undeniable. It's kind of the nature of, of how they are. But. They also have an equal number of factors that have nothing to do with securities and investment contracts. And the reason that's such a problem is, is because we have this, what is it is because it's so novel is because it needs new regulation. It needs a new structure. It needs a new framework. So because Congress is just sitting on their butts doing nothing. SEC is like, let's try and get some power. I mean, they're not stupid. They know this is going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry, the CFTC isn't stupid. They know it's going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry. No one's telling them they can or cannot do it from Congress. So, you know, they're they're fighting it out right now in the courts. And it's just a mess and a disaster. And, you know, that's where we are. Freddie,
1: doesn't this go back to the fact that we're dealing with a Howie test that was created in 1943? And we're trying to use that to regulate a technology that was invented in 1988. Right. And, and, the, and the biggest key factor, as you said, about securities and stocks, when I buy a stock, I own the company. I own a share. I own a right to it. Right. And I'm a part owner. When I buy a cryptocurrency, I own nothing. I don't if I buy XRP, I don't own Ripple. Right. And so there's a big difference there. And you're right. I think that's what's missing is the regulation to say, well, what is it? You know, which piece of it is security and which is it? Right. Yeah, Ready? exactly.
3: And, you know, you, you want laws to be written so they can stand the test of time. So I, I do see where the SEC's argument is, is we don't need new laws. Everything can fit into this, you know, nice little package that we have. And well, you know, to some extent, that's a good thing in the sense that we, you know, one, not everything does fit into that package because we have thousands of case cases establishing the Howey case law from when it was created, you know, almost 100 years ago until, uh, well, in, it was a 1940s case, but from when the Securities Act to Howie to now, you know, there's a lot of cases that kind of test that out, but it's just, you know, you get to a point where when the internet happened, you couldn't use old uh, old laws on radio communications and, you know, physical mail to really handle the internet. So you had to come up with a whole new legislative scheme. And we're just that's where we are with this technology is it just is too far outside the box for what we currently have and we need something new. I know that today we're going to see an appeal process or something
0: along those lines from Ripple where they're going to actually explain whether they agree or disagree with the ruling. I'd like for you to break that down just a little bit and then we can explain how that might affect the SEC's appeal process.
3: So the um, on August 9th, the SEC filed their letter, their four-page letter saying, we want to file briefing for an interlocutory appeal. And the judge, I can't see any reason um, why she's not going to allow at least that briefing to happen. Um, I don't even, uh, I'm not sure if she even has the ability to say, no, we're not even going to do briefing. I think she does, but I, I can't see her not at least allowing the parties to go through the briefing process and then you know issue a written decision. Uh, so we've got the opening warm up letter on August 9th. Ripple is supposed to file theirs today at some point, and they're basically going to say either we, t- we disagree with the SEC, there should be no interlocutory appeal, or they might actually say they agree that we want to do the appeal now if they agree. They're going to also say, judge, respectfully, we think your ruling on the institutional sales is incorrect. And so we want to appeal that aspect of it. And so if the SEC wants to appeal, you know, the two thirds part of the ruling and Ripple wants to appeal the other one third, then I think there's a high likelihood that the court allows that to happen. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe there isn't even any briefing at all. Uh, We'll see. But, you know, if everybody wants wants it to happen. And then it depends, is the Second Circuit going to take that up or not, even if the parties want to. If Ripple comes through and says, we don't think there should be an appeal, which my money would be on them taking that factor or that position, then I think, you know, there'll be briefing. Um, It'll probably be a little bit longer than what the SEC wanted. Or, or propose they want it to be rapid fire. If I'm Ripple, I'm going to say, I'm going to object and say, we need to take as long as we possibly <laughs> can. I would throw it back in the SEC's uh, face. I'd cite to all their other briefing where, you know, Ripple was like, we got to do this now. And they're like, hold on, let's take it slow. Let's wait. So I, I do think there'll be briefing. It'll be elongated. I think it's a 50-50 if Judge Torres, if Ripple objects, allows uh, or certifies a uh, interlocutory appeal, you know, allowing the SEC to make that argument to the Second Circuit. I'd probably, I'm very close to 50, 50, maybe 60, 40 against her granting it. She has granted them in the past. Uh, but because this is such a new area of the law, there's only like one other case or a handful of other cases that really contradict what she said there's not that kind of rush uh, with some of the other interlocutory appeals that she's allowed to go up. Um, It just doesn't seem like there's the biggest rush contrary to what anybody says or what even we believe as, as um, retail holders, this thing is working itself out through the courts. And it's been like that for years and years and years. So that's, that's kind of my quick uh, overview. Maybe not so quick.
2: I'm sorry. I just real quick. Like how, how, so if it does move forward, the second circuit, they have to sign off in it, on, on it too, right? The interlocutory appeal. Do you know uh, roughly like how often they do something like that, where they let something like that go forward? Or have they been known notoriously to not even approve those kind of
3: appeals? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a, the, a good point. Even if Judge Torres says, yep, let's go ahead and certify this up. And then, At the SEC, ask the Second Circuit. The Second Circuit could say, No, we're not going to take this. Um, It's out. We're going to, it's not going to be, we're not going to use our discretion to take this. And so I don't know the stats on the Second Circuit accepting interlocutory appeals. I I do know just from anecdotal evidence of um, my familiarity with doing appeals in the Ninth Circuit out here on the West Coast and just how these go generally. The default is not to accept them because, you know, it's that's the whole thing. It's a special appeal. It's in the middle of a case where the rest of the case is still going on and it just can mess up a lot of things. And this can get, and we can get into the details too if you want. This can, um, it can really, there's, it's just not a clean situation because it can really mess up. The rights of the individuals to have their trial, to have their day in court. Talking about Brad and Chris, and this delays that. And so, especially if Brad and Chris, through their separate lawyers, you know, chime in and say, "No, we want to get our trial going." You know, this is unfair. This is sitting around. That's going to really work against the uh, Judge Torres granting it. And you know, the same thing applies for the Second Circuit too. Um, you know, it can. It, it just. Either way, whether the appeal goes through or whether it doesn't, the effect on this individual uh, trial is going to be impacted significantly. And so, you know, the default is, well, let's just let everything go through. Let the trial go through. And, you know, that's that's just the way it is. That's where we're going to be. Fred, a lot of people have
0: been talking about, is the monkey off of Ripple's back? Now that this lawsuit has officially received a ruling Everyone was expecting a $5 price target. We never discussed these things on our show. But One of the things that everybody was anticipating was that after this lawsuit, we would see American crypto adoption move into our next phase. And this is a, a poll put out by the digital asset investor this morning. He said, when will Ripple make its first announcement of a customer using XRP for U.S. payments? Now, as you can see, 56% of the people agreed next month, which is the latest time they could vote on, would be that date. I'd like to hear in your opinion, with the ruling coming in, although the SEC may appeal, what's really preventing U.S. banks and financial institutions from using XRP now?
3: Well, it's really just confidence and uh, courage is really the only thing. And so we saw this when the lawsuit happened. Everybody started delisting XRP, except for a few brave individuals like Uphold. You know, I always give a shout out to them because they you know, didn't have that that cowardice that the other exchanges had. Thankfully, the other exchanges did list them. Now, you know that's a good sign because the general counsels at all of those exchanges could have said, "Well, I bet the SEC is going to try and appeal this. Let's just keep it delisted for now." None of them did that. Uh, they showed some backbone, and I mean. They showed some backbone. My personal opinion is because they now the, the cat's out of the bag and the SEC has been targeting them, you know, suing Coinbase, suing all these other people. So it's kind of like it was forced courage. Um, but nonetheless, they, they relisted it. And so now, you know, we've always heard about the partnership with Bank of America and Ripple, for example. And who knows the extent of exactly what's going on? I mean, we've been able to parse out some details, but you know, it's all comes down to their executives and their legal team saying, yeah, let's go ahead and announce that we're doing this or any other company. Let's go ahead and announce that we're doing this. There is nothing, even though there wasn't anything legally preventing them before the ruling, because there was no ruling, it was just allegations. They've got even more of a, um, leg to stand on now that this ruling is out and it just cannot be changed for at least a year, in my opinion, even if everything goes lightning fast on the appeal, that's not going to happen till probably summer of 25 at the earliest, or of 24 at the earliest. So there's nothing that prevents any of these companies from doing this. And so it all just comes down to of what do they want to um, announce and do they have the confidence and courage and conviction to do it? I think you will see some. I don't know if next month it's going to happen. I would love to be wrong. I was totally wrong. I, I like to say I'm a good lawyer, but in terms of price predictions, I thought one to two dollars after that court ruling. And I did think it'd come back down, but I was like one to two dollars for sure, and you know, it did not get there. So, um, you know, it's it's anyone's guess on that. But there's nothing preventing them legally from from such announcements.
1: Hey Fred, I got a question on something you said is important. So obviously, which is strange to me, the judge has to approve if she can get appealed, which is weird <laughs> that the judge even has that power. Um, but if the judge says no, then I assume it can't happen. But let's say the judge or the appeals court one or both reject right now during the interlocutory stage. At the end of the case, when it's done, whatever, six months, a year, two years from now, when they're done with the second part of it. Could the SEC then go and reappeal again since they got rejected in the interlocutory or if they get interlocutory, they're not allowed to appeal this at all?
3: No, well, okay. So if they get rejected, if they're not certified for the interlocutory appeal and the second circuit never takes it, um, then they still have all of their appeal rights at the end of the case. Uh, the only time, you, you just don't get two bites at the apple in the sense of if the court, Uh, if they're allowed, if they're certified for the interlocutory appeal, they go up, the second circuit takes it and they hand out a ruling, you know, then they can't re-argue that same appeal at the end of the case um, with Brad and Chris. Uh, So that's, you just don't get those two bites at the apple. But if they're denied the chance to appeal on an interlocutory, i.e. intermediate basis, then they get their regular appeal rights at the end of the case. And that's why I think Ripple's going to want to object to this because, object to the interlocutory appeal happening because the the delay is going to be so much greater before the SEC can even appeal. If trial's not going to be until end of spring, summer of 24, it's going to be a month or maybe even two month long trial. There's going to be lots of uh, post-trial motions after that. I mean, I can't see the appeal from the Second Circuit coming out until 2025 um, at that point. And we'll be well into another presidential administration. And I think a lot of these issues will sort themselves out. So that's why I just think Ripple
1: is going to say, no, we object to this appeal. I'm glad you said that, because that was a question we wanted to ask you. Let's say between now and whenever this thing ends two years from now, Congress actually comes out and defines what a cryptocurrency is and there's real regulation. Does this whole court case just get thrown out? Is that how it works or what happens in that scenario if we actually have rules and laws that clarify this?
3: Uh, it it would depend on exactly what the law is. If it's extremely clear on how XRP fits into that new law, then yeah, it could nullify almost the whole case. Um, if it's a little wishy-washy, then you know, there could still be lawsuits uh, and I'm sure it will be somewhat wishy-washy. That's just usually how Congress does it. Um, of course, But, you know, the SEC could still bring lawsuits against other companies saying, ah, you don't really fit into this part of the new law. If that's the case though, then Ripple's uh, and XRP are even in a better situation because then this case it remains the law at, for that very limited situation of Ripple and XRP. Um, and so that almost would be, The I mean, that's threading the needle. But if there was, you know, a law that came out from Congress that kind of put things still a little up in the air, um, Ripple would be one of the absolute few that would have that type of legal clarity because it's got a court case and it's got the new law. So is XRP the only token with clarity in the United States? Yes or no? Uh, literally, no. Uh, figuratively, yes. Figuratively, because I'm talking about only the large market cap coins, um, and, and that's one of the only ones. Um, there's been, you know, some tinier cases here and there about some smaller coins. You know, there's been um, the, uh, you know, the coin itself in the Telegram case was ruled not to be a security, but the way they sold it. Um, it was uh, unclear exactly what happened with the um, uh, well, not unclear. I want to say uh, the EOS coin actually was not a security. That was from a long time ago. They did a settlement with the SEC. Um, so there have been a, a couple of things here and there, but uh, you know far and away, XRP of the most of the largest uh, cap coins is the only one. I did say, People called me on it that um, Bitcoin has, quote, legal clarity. I only meant that in the sense that with the SEC said, you know, for years and years that Bitcoin's not a security, CFTC says it's a co- commodity. Nobody seems to be arguing it anymore. There's nothing legally that prevents the SEC from finding somebody to sue and saying Bitcoin's a security. I just think it's, it's so ridiculous to do something like that after saying that it's not a security for years and years and years, that that also has legal clarity, but it's kind of putting legal clarity in quotes.
0: So if we are the only token with legal clarity, whether that's in quotations or not, what's seriously preventing us from having a derivative of crypto products in the United States, whether that's XRP or Ethereum, most of the financial markets exist in derivatives. And when that happens, that's when I think these markets go mainstream and they begin to seriously flourish I remember back in 2021, Dogecoin reached a $40 billion market cap. Today, XRP is still at $32 billion. So the game I like to play is imagine what our peak bull run price is going to be, whether it's driven from speculation or utility, it's going to be well above where we are today. So
3: just getting back to what
0: I was asking you, how far away are we from a derivatives product in the USA?
3: Well, I think we're a pretty far ways away just because You know, you have to go through the approval from all these institutions to get it, and it's just, you know, I I know, uh, I think we might bring up the Bitcoin spot ETF later on, but you know, the the people that make the decisions, these companies that make these decisions, they're just slow playing all of this, and so uh, you know, the markets want it because, I I mean, me personally, I'm not a derivatives expert, but. I see enough court cases of how the derivative markets are manipulated or there's allegations of manipulation. And, you know, the, the finance uh, boys and girls make a lot of money, you know, moving those things around fairly or unfairly. So it'll happen. It's, it's going to happen at some point. It's just we're not there yet. In my opinion. And what do you think is preventing
0: us? If clearly we got the monkey off our back with the litigation, does that mean that we're waiting for this appeal process to play out? Or what's what's preventing a derivatives product from being offered?
3: I think it's just the, the regulatory approval. And so, you know, nobody is, everybody rushed uh, to refile their Bitcoin spot ETF applications. Then there were a few Ethereum futures applications. I'm not sure about the, Uh, you know, I don't, I don't track any of the derivative applications, so I don't know if anybody's even applied for them, but it just, you know, it seems the writings on the wall that these aren't going anywhere anytime fast. And, you know, all of these companies, they have, you know, inside tracks with certain of the regulators. What do you think if we file this, is it going to go anywhere? You know, it's not going anywhere, you know, just between you and me, don't even bother with it. You know, it's that kind of stuff that happens in this revolving door, you know, Political regulatory situation we have in the U.S. and I just I just don't see anybody going that route anytime soon with um, outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum for now. And now that can all change if you know Congress got together, passed something tomorrow, and clarified it. But I mean, is it going to happen tomorrow? No. We we're following. We got we got bills in Congress. They're being you know debated. But where's it going? Not anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Johnny Crypto, I'd like to get some of your thoughts. I'm going to give you a quick chance to ask a
0: question here, but we got 308 live listeners joining us. Shovel some love, smash that like button. and Thank you to Freddie for making time for us this morning. Guys, this is an article that is not XRP related, but we're going to be diving into it later in the episode. As Stellar dips into their treasury to buy a minority stake in MoneyGram, making them the official blockchain partner of the MoneyGram service. So that's huge development article here. But Johnny, any quick questions on the XRP news?
1: um the only other question i would have is doesn't the is it the sec you said freddie that has to approve the etf it, they would need et they would have to actually approve it if someone wanted to do an xrp uh or etf yeah
3: yeah they're the ones that that have that because even if it's a commodity you're packaging it in a um security investment contract um situation and so uh, most yeah. uh, I, I guess i don't want to say all I, I don't know if there's an exception somewhere there usually almost is but um, for most
1: ETFs, you got to get that SEC approval. And would they give the SEC approval if they're in the process of this court case while this thing's going on, while they're while – they're Yeah, I on. mean,
3: can you – and this this comes back to uh, – sorry, I, I just rolled out to let my dog out of the room, but okay. the the uh, – it's similar to me when, you know, I was always thinking even as soon as this case was filed in the back of my head, I thought, uh, because I, I've, I've, uh, purchased stock in ripple, um, you know, through some of the providers that, you know, everybody's well familiar with. And I, I thought to myself, man, if the SE, if ripple wins this and just totally destroys the sec and gets real feisty with the sec, which they ultimately did. What happens at the end of that court case when uh, you know the judge is like, and and you know Ripple wins, case closed, hits the gavel, and then uh, the Ripple folks look over at the SEC and they're like, so um, here's our IPO application, and yeah. uh, you know, and they're,
1: <laughs> and they're gonna be like, uh, what we lost your application, yeah, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? So- right. Right.
3: And so, you know, I, um, I don't want to put, uh, you know, bad thoughts in, in people's minds, but, you know, I just, that's, that's in the back of my head. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to slow play this? Um, you know, can they, I mean, they, of course they can, but politically, I mean, what does that look like if you uh, lost a case and then you just are a sore loser? And so, I think that's a little bit like a, an XRP yeah. ETF is, you know, that, I mean, how slow played is that going to get? You know, the response being this isn't settled all, you know, as you know, we're appealing this very decision, so yeah, we're going to yeah. delay it. I just don't think that's even worth thinking about right now. Um, doesn't, doesn't prevent anybody from filing one. Maybe a, a company should file one just for the heck of it. Although just it's,
1: see what happens.
3: It's, yeah, it's fairly expensive. So <laughs> oh. maybe not, but uh, I, what, what I would look for is some of these other, um, trusts that are out there, like uh, the Grayscale had a large digital cap fund um, and, uh, you know, they had XRP in it and then they sold it all when the uh, lawsuit came out. I I can't remember if Bitwise had XRP in there too, but, you know, and they also had an XRP trust Grayscale. So I, I was a little surprised that they haven't gotten that one back up and running or added XRP to it. But uh, again, we can talk about it later. Grayscales and the digital currency group are in a world of hurt right now. So they've got other things on their mind.
2: So um, I had a question kind of like relating to the the Bitcoin spot ETF. Um, In the research that we've done, we found that like in the past, the excuse for denying it kind of centered around this whole like um, surveillance shares agreement, right? That you had to have a regulated market of a significant size. And so recently in the applications that ARK Investment and that uh, BlackRock came out with, they named Coinbase. And so we're, there's a story today that we're, I don't know if we're going to get time to go over that talks about Coinbase and then getting approved in the US for kind of the futures derivatives. Do you think that that kind of helps? You, you kind of send, I'm, I'm, What I guess what I'm asking is, do you see like the setup there for them to kind of approve the spot coin, uh, the spot Bitcoin ETF by like leaning on that, okay, well Coinbase now is a significant size and it's a regulated market because now we have an approval for the derivatives market.
3: It's a good question. I think that um, Coinbase would like to see it that way, but the SEC just doesn't care. Uh, you know, so the you know, what you brought up about Coinbase getting greenlit for offering futures, You know, that was through, as we were talking about a little bit before the show, through the CFTC, which is, you know, engaged in their own turf battle saying these are commodities, not securities. In fact, you've got the head of the CFTC testifying before Congress, Ethereum's a commodity. And then you've got uh, Gary Gensler saying, I'm not going to tell you, that was a while ago. He, it's since come out that they said to Coinbase, drop everything but Bitcoin. Everything else is a security, i.e., you know, that includes Ethereum. And then you know, our law firm, uh, we lost a case on standing um, a couple of weeks ago trying to get the SEC to tell us if the uh, Ethereum was a security or not. And they came right out to the court and said, we don't have to tell you and we haven't made a decision. So, you know, the SEC doesn't care what the futures are offered. Um, They're still going to make their arguments that everything but Bitcoin's a security. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm uh, not the greatest fan of Coinbase. You know, we, our firm also has got a lawsuit against them right now for their refusal to airdrop the Songbird token and all of the flare. So I'm not the biggest fan. I am rooting for them to beat the SEC, but, you know, this surveillance agreement. I haven't digging into the weeds uh, or dug into the weeds, but, you know, Coinbase is not the biggest uh, uh, market maker of Bitcoin by far. There's, you know, Binance is the giant. Coinbase has a decent share, but, you know, I think just having Coinbase do anything, just, just having it be Coinbase um, as the, as the um, main uh, um, instrument to, to conduct the surveillance probably isn't going to grab as much as the market as, as it should. You know, at the same time, that's not the sticking point for me because they already approved a Bitcoin futures, and you know it's the same. You, you shouldn't really be able to have one if you don't have the other. So, Fred, I just
0: want to ask you this. We've been talking about a Bitcoin ETF, but the Ripple IPO really caught my attention. Obviously, if they can't IPO in the United States, they're going to do it somewhere else. So what do you think the likelihood of a Ripple IPO in the USA is versus overseas?
3: I saw in the comments, I, I wanted to like get in on the comments too, but I'm, well, the program we're using, uh, I had to connect my YouTube account. It just flustered me. I didn't have time to do it before <laughs>
1: it happened. Next
3: saw, time we'll get you hooked up. Yeah, I saw Greenwood Holding Company, uh, you brought that up, uh, said they're going to IPO overseas. I mean, I think it's, it's sad for American markets, but I think it's a very realistic uh, possibility that Ripple. Well, what I think they would do is they'd either, you know, through back channel communications with the SEC or through filing an application, get a sense pretty quickly of if they're getting uh, dicked around, you know, on that. And then they'll say, oh, you know what, application withdrawn, and then they will go overseas. I think they'll try to do it in the U.S. first. um, But I think they have no qualms at all about Pulling that, going to a market overseas, and making a big deal publicly about it—you um, know, just to uh, you know showcase how terrible you know our, our regulators are being in this in this industry.
0: And I think what's interesting about the whole crypto adoption narrative is: imagine the internet boom without America. If America had a Facebook was Chinese and Amazon was from Singapore, and all these different companies were outside of the U.S., we would have fallen very quickly as the financial superpower in the world. Well, what are we seeing right now? These new emerging markets are being pushed out of the US and they're finding themselves in friendlier locations. Japan, Singapore, India, the UK, basically everywhere outside of the US is making crypto more friendly than we are. And so my question to you is, when do you think you're going to see a 180? Is it going to take place after the elections in 2024? Or could we see the SEC and CFTC become very crypto friendly over the next 12 months?
3: I've got a little bit of a negative view. And and it comes down to the kind of broader geopolitical themes that I kind of see happening. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm a lawyer. I like being a lawyer. I use the law. But, you know, sometimes we see and, and I've seen so many times in my own cases and especially some of these big cases that are coming out now, even outside of crypto that. Sometimes it doesn't really matter what the law is. It just matters who are the big uh, power players, where are they connected and what's going on there. And, you know, when I when I say that you have to think with uh, with this whole issue of cryptocurrency, one of the things that it is, I mean, it's got many, many uses, but it's money. It's it's a store of value. It's a way that people can exchange value, you know, without, you know, your traditional barter, I'll give you law work, you give me a basket of corn, you know. And so with that being said, there's only one country in this entire uh, uh, planet that can generate money without any real consequence. And that's the United States. No other country can just create their own currency and, you know, people care about it and use it. You know, it just turns worthless. Now, of course, everyone's seen in their grocery bills and everything else how much, you know, their their money is losing purchasing power. But by and large, the U.S. dollar is unchallenged. It's being challenged, but it is um, not significantly challenged as of yet. And that is uh, just an insane weapon to have, an insane uh, resource to have, you know, for our country. I certainly have benefited by it. You know, everybody here has benefited by it it's going to suck when that finally goes away if it goes away i think it's when not if but everybody at the at the power levels in congress you know the oligarchs here in the us and everywhere else they know what a huge uh piece of power this is for them to have their own standard of living and their billions of dollars and if you let crypto in you regulate it it's going to naturally because it's you know Can't be controlled, printed out of thin air. I say that I'm talking about good projects. There's obviously a lot of crappy projects out there that can be printed out of thin air, but you know, the the quality projects can't be printed out of thin air. There's a limited run, people are going to switch over to that. The dollar is going to lose power. Um, and you know, all of these things that Congress gets away with, that our government gets away with, are going to go down. So I just don't see it as being like the Internet where, you know, you still had you had an industry that would form and would all that power would stay in the U.S. You know, this this industry, the power is going to diffuse to the people. It's definitely a good thing for the people, but it's not good for our government, I don't think. And, and that's my personal opinion, why I think, uh, you know, we're in for a rough, rough haul. That's Let's get into an Ethereum saying. conversation here because we got some <laughs> Ethereum
0: evidence of what you're talking about when it comes to corruption. Guys, we got 307 live listeners here. Shovel some love. Smash that like button and check out this latest. It's not even the latest update. It's just a Bill Hinman update from Simpson and Thatcher. So Hinman was so pressed by Simpson and Thatcher in consensus to give the Ethereum free pass speech that they purposefully omitted sending the speech to any commissioners except for Jay Clayton. Because in his own words, it would slow down the process significantly. And Fred, I'm sure if this was happening in 2018, the same types of deals are happening behind the scenes today. I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on the Ethereum free pass that was given. We're looking at the market very objectively when it comes to these projects. XRP was offered by Ripple. Maybe institutional sales were considered a security, but the product in and of itself does not give you rights or ownership to the company. So therefore, the SEC's got no jurisdiction. When it comes to this Ethereum free pass speech, and we're showing it right now, Hinman not only said that Ethereum was decentralized enough to not be considered a security, he said putting the ICO aside, which is the most important part of funding for the project. So broadly, I'd like to hear what do you think about ETHGATE and the narrative that Ethereum got a free pass because of these
3: types of relationships? Well, I mean, it definitely did get a free pass because of those relationships. I mean, Bill Henman went right over to A16Z, uh, you know, right after he left. There are um, well-known public reports. I think they're public. I've seen other people talk about it, um, which is after he resigned, he went, you know, back to the SEC like, oh, hey, checking in on everybody. You guys still are going to make sure you sue Ripple, right? using all of the cachet that he had to make sure that lawsuit went. I mean, he was the driving force of of making sure it it uh, happened. And, you know, we got the emails that came out, we got, you know, all of the deliberations that came out. I don't I'm sure that there's even more that the SEC withheld, you know, either improperly or properly based on what the court's order was. And, you know, it's sad. It's not it's certainly not um Surprising, this stuff has been going on outside of crypto at, you know at the SEC for a long time. Um, you know I, I brought this up. Uh, I can't remember where I brought this up, but the um, judge Rakoff is this judge in Southern District of New York. He wrote the opinion in the Terraforms case where he disagreed with Judge Torres and said her holding was completely wrong. He interestingly, back in 2011, He was a judge where the SEC uh, sued Citigroup over, you know, some terrible fraudulent mortgage thing where they ripped off a ton of people. And they're like, yeah, guess what? We got together and we got this two hundred eighty five million dollar fine. And now we're all good to go. They're going to settle up. And and Judge Rakoff looked at it and said, you got to be kidding me for as terrible as you allege this conduct was this amounts to like a 2% fee on like all of the money they made screwing over everybody. I'm not approving this. We're going to trial. And it's and group in the sec were floored. And we're like, what? Our backroom deal isn't getting approved. No, this, they joined forces sued that judge in the second circuit. And, uh, uh, he had to get his own lawyer. He got reversed. And the second circuit was like, no, 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 You got to bless this, uh, this backroom dealing and, and go forward. It's not your place to do it. So, this kind of stuff happens all the time, all the time. And it's sad because I don't want to completely, you know, just trash everybody at the SEC because there's a lot of good people that are doing it for the right reasons. And there's a lot of these cases that are, you know, fair and go after the fraudsters. But it's now a fully political organization at the top level and these things at the top level are happening you know from a political standpoint not a legal standpoint and um maybe uh maybe on a future show if you have me back i'll uh, i'll get into a little more discussion on it but there was a uh, sec attorney that found out all this fraud and tried to blow the whistle and the SEC fired him, and then he had to do this huge lawsuit. And they basically had to pay him a lot of money for wrongful termination. And it just came out, you know, all the shady stuff that happened at the top. I'm not talking about everybody at the SEC at the top. And so there's a lot of problems. They've gotten worse there. And again, we're all into it because of XRP, well, at least you know that's a, a, a favorite of mine. I sue the government in in my non-crypto law practice. I sue the VA. I sue other governmental agencies. It is all the same right now. It is, you know, a handful of people make the decisions. And it is just, you know, it's a mess. Do you think
2: that the, uh, do you think that just in your opinion, loosely, right? Do you think that Bill Hinman will ever be held accountable? Like the more that we see some of this evidence come out and this, like, that the, you know, all this, not nefarious, but like all these contradicting things that they told him not to do this, not to do that. And he did it anyways, right? And then it shows that it, it was just all about making money. He saw the opportunity and, and and he went with it. But do you think that he'll be ever be held accountable?
3: Uh, I don't, uh, I, I, I think it's possible. I think the percentages to me are low because one of the reasons why, so the SEC in our lawsuit that our firm lost on standing issues, you know, the court's like, I'm not going to force the SEC to answer because I don't think you, HODL Law, are going to be uh, significantly harmed, you know, one way or the other if you know about Ethereum. Regardless of the fact that our firm uses Ethereum, we transact in it, we store client funds, we use uh, ERC tokens um, for our Metaverse properties. Um the the thing is, is that it's very clear that the SEC believes Ethereum is a security and they're trying to figure out the best way to go after it. I think one of their problems is they saw how hard Ripple went trying to get all this Ethereum uh, information out, these backroom conversations. We've seen Freedom of Information Act requests of direct talk with Joe Lubin and maybe even Vitalik. And so... They're like, anything we do to go after Ethereum is going to open the door on all of this stuff that we did. And so, you know, they're either making sure that that's protected and can't be disclosed and or found, or they're trying to figure out a way to minimize that, you know, when that eventually that can of worms is opened even fuller than it already is. And so, you know, that's their big approach. And and they might, you know, the only way from a government perspective, I think Hinman's accountable is if they finally, the SEC bites the bullet and says, all right, we got to push this all off on him as the whipping boy. And we're going to say this was all him and maybe a few other people, you know, people that aren't here anymore and, and we'll blame him. I mean, maybe nothing ever happens. They just kind of put it out there that, you know, they're displeased with it. You know I'm saying? There's maybe there's no criminal charges or anything, um, you know, civilly, long, long time ago, not that long ago, um, you know, our firm filed a civil suit against Bill Hinman and Jay Clayton. We pulled it back, you know, again, that's a story for another time, uh, very crazy uh, week of my life. Um, but, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out if, you know, that can get up and running again, you know, civilly holding him responsible. None of these things are easy. Because there's a lot of immunity given to government officials if they're, quote, acting in their government um, capacity. I'll just close off with uh, people sued the SEC with the whole Madoff situation. And again, the Second Circuit said, and they even put in their opinion, what the SEC did was bad. It was horrible. They totally fell asleep at the wheel. They were incompetent. But they were incompetent government officials doing their jobs incompetently. They have immunity. You can't sell them. So, with XRP being the only token with legal clarity, as you
0: stated, that's in quotations right now. But a lot of people looked at the price chart and said the price chart is suppressed because of the lawsuit. As an attorney who's familiar with these types of things, now the lawsuit's behind us, but the price chart, it's doing what it's always done, right? We had a typical breakout, and now we're just back testing our normal ranges. Do you believe that the lawsuit actually suppressed use cases and inevitably suppressed the price chart?
3: Well, there's definitely some suppression because we got the huge pop when the uh, ruling came out. You know, we've drifted back, but, you know, we're not in that same. I mean, we were like in the high 30s, 40s, you know, for a while. I mean, at the same time, in the last run, we got up as high as $1.80. I think that the lawsuit definitely did damage in the sense that it restricted ripple from moving forward with a lot of the things they were working on, or if not moving forward, then moving forward as fast, or at least, you know, being able to publicize some of the things. I just, I'm not a TA person. And sometimes I look at TA and I'm like, wow, this is seems like some type of magic to me. I love all the names that people come up with for things uh, like for chart movements and everything, but it just seems to me, based on you know following this stuff for, I've I was gotten into crypto since 2018, that nobody can escape Bitcoin in this four-year cycle. It just seems like no one's escaped that uh, velocity yet. I think it's going to happen. I, I feel it has to happen at some point, but it just doesn't seem like it has. Um, I don't have another explanation for it. And so it's articles like these that catch my attention as
0: well. We look at what Ripple's been able to do with their on-demand liquidity products, but XRP has been taken out of their liquidity hub because of the lawsuit. Well, their ODL system is reliant on XRP as a neutral bridge asset. And this is what they're explaining here in this article. Guys, we got 322 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is a very important update. The ODL also offers superior liquidity for cross-border payments, including complex corridors. By virtue of its strong global payments network and the ability to use XRP as a neutral bridge asset for various fiat pairs. These are the types of articles we were waiting for during the lawsuit, right? When XRP is enabled in the liquidity hub in the United States, that means banks can tap into that liquidity and inevitably would be buying large sums of XRP. Is that now available? Like, is that product gonna be available now? I know we keep talking about clarity and quotations, but I'm just confused as an investor. What's preventing
3: people from using XRP? There's nothing legally that is preventing. There's nothing legally preventing people from using XRP while this lawsuit was going on. It was just, you know, the heavy possibility that it was going to be ruled um, illegal or restricted. I mean, illegal is not even the right word. It's going to be ruled a securities transaction um, in, in some sense. But, you know, the judge hadn't made a ruling the whole time which I'm sure that's why Uphold's lawyers told Uphold, there's no ruling, you can do this as much as you want. And then if the ruling comes out negatively, then you stop. And you know that's probably why Uphold did what they did. And now that we do have uh, legal clarity, the quotations, by the way, was for Bitcoin, not for uh, XRP. The XRP is full on legal clarity uh, in the sense of what's spelled out in the order. But now that there's even that strong um, legal opinion that's binding in the case, and there's no shot at an appeal changing that for at least a year, uh, there's even less of a reason for people not to use it. So it's just uh, apprehension for whoever is, you know, working with XRP or whoever Ripple is is, is using uh, or trying to use. And you know, it makes sense. Again, we're talking about. Moving a a dedication to the U.S. dollar to XRP or to any cross bridge asset, and so if you can, you know, rely on your own currency more, and you know, if you're, you know, whatever country and you've got your own currency, and you don't want to be as relying on dollars, well, you don't have to be anymore because you can go in and out of dollars to your own currency in seconds with XRP. So it naturally is going to decrease the importance of the U.S. dollar. Any digital currency will. And, you know, there's some hesitancy there because that can have a lot of knock-on effects. And I'm just speculating. That could be a reason why, why it's a little slow going. But, you know, we talk about flip the switch and everything. And it might not be as dramatic as a flip the switch moment, but eventually you're going to get a tipping point where, Companies are going to start using it, XRP, and it's going to start saving them a lot of money. Other companies are going to realize, all right, well, we just, we got to get in this game too, or we're going to be losing out. And then when you get that critical mass, you know, that's when it tips. And, and you know, I think it's going to be really good for everybody holding XRP, but it's going to be really bad for people in other currencies and, and, and other things. And so, you know, that's kind of the the hesitancy, I, I think, you know, the kicking and the fighting, being dragged the whole way through.
1: Hey, Freddie, I got a question for you. So we got the clarity on the programmatic sales. So we know right now that if you and I want to go buy it, it's not a security. It's not a problem. But the thing that we had a question for you on this show was, Ripple's trying to work with other institutions, right? You need, for this really to work, we need big institutions and and other companies to take it on and develop the technology and implement it and use it. And with that being said, then those institutions may have to go buy XRP, but we know the ruling said, if Ripple sells to an institution, it's a security. How much does that now prevent institutions from potentially adopting it? Because now they know if they do buy it for them, it's a security. Does that affect it at all? We're trying to understand that what, how that really might have an impact, and could that be slowing down? Could that have now made it problematic for Ripple to get adoption in the U.S. from institutions where now we have cleared it out to security? So can you comment a little bit on that?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I can't comment though, until we get some more likes going guys hit that like button. I got a show for the show. That's what a good guest does. Let's hit a couple of likes. I know it's so easy to do. Um, All right. Now uh, I think we got a few more. Uh, uh, I don't know if we confirm that, but uh, what I'll I'll say is um, (laughs) what's interesting about the institutional sales. Not a lot of people have been talking about it, maybe some have, but these, well, this was a ruling based on very early sales and sales that came up to a point in time. I, I forget exactly what that point in time was, but the, uh, you know, there's in there's quote on, and remember when we say quote institutional sales, that was a defined term uh, in the order. So it, it meant a certain thing. It's not you know, in the sense of if Ripple were to sell right now to Bank of America or any other um, quote institution by, by literal definition, um, that that's part of what the ruling was in the lawsuit. This was a very specific defined term. And so it's completely possible based on my reading of the order for uh, Ripple to go to a BlackRock, to go to State Street, to go to any market maker, to go to Coinbase and sell them XRP. And it would not be considered a securities transaction based on the way the, the ruling was written and based on the way Ripple could change the the terms of the contract or um, you know, not even change the terms of a, of a contract, not, not even create a contract, but just set up the deal in a way that, you know, there's multiple intermediaries in between that stage of XRP going from Ripple to whatever big time financial institution. So there's already ways around it. And I guarantee you that uh, Stu Alderati, the general counsel, has been Farming out to his transactional lawyers, not so not the litigators that are that are doing the SEC case, but you know probably two other gigantic law firms that are already trying to structure these deals to go outside of you know what the judge ruled were securities transactions, um, slash investment contracts. So yes, it's fully possible. It's fully uh, within that way to work around now. Can the SEC find out about it and then bring another lawsuit based on those? Yes, they could. And, you know, Ripple would be like, okay, we'll just fight you on that. So, you know, it can be an endless cycle of litigation and it will be an endless cycle of litigation until, you know, somebody steps in and does something about it, which is either, you know, winning that, uh, keep winning in the cycle or Congress does something about it. We talked about how the
0: SEC's appeal would have to be approved by Judge Torres, but I do want to spend a little bit of time on Ripple's appeal. Do you think they're going to appeal those institutional sales after you just broke it down the way you did? I don't think they will, but
3: I'd like to hear your opinion. Uh, So I think they definitely, okay, so there's, what you got to realize in litigation, and it's frustrating, but it's just the way it is, is that this thing can branch off in 10 different directions with each of those 10 branches having another 10 different directions that it could go. So you always have to think about probabilities. I think that if the SEC came to Ripple and they were able to come up with a settlement that they could both live with, then Ripple would take it in a heartbeat. And I think Ripple would even pay an enormous fine uh, because they get that clarity in the sense that any settlement would say, we can't sue you ever again for any reason. Um, I mean, that's what I would demand if I was Ripple. And so, and so boom, will, there's
0: no. Will Ripple be incentivized to
3: settle? I guess
0: I would say. Is Ripple going to be incentivized to go to the SEC and say, yeah, we'll pay a $200 million fine and then we can remove those quotations from being the only token with clarity. Also, that's the
3: only thing preventing U.S. utility. Am I right? Well, I mean, with the order or the opinion in there, there's no, there's again, there's, there's even less of a legal roadblock. There's just the concern from any other institution that, well, this could get reversed in two years on an appeal. So we're not going to make any long-term plans based on it. So the incentive is there for Ripple to settle. The incentive is definitely there, but it's got to be something that they like. They were offered to settle, you know, very early in the litigation. And they said no, because it wasn't what they needed. I think there wasn't any clarity on XRP, the token itself. So there's got to be some type of reason for Ripple to settle that that's something that that's comfortable with. And, you know, I, I, me, I think the best thing would be for them to say, okay, if we sell huge amounts of XRP to institutions in this manner, we will file a registration statement. This will be a um, you know a private market sale. I'm not I'm not a securities expert you know in that aspect, so I don't know all the details. But I know it can be done. They could agree to that. Everything else on the programmatic market, selling to market makers, isn't a security. That's uh, and when we'll pay the SEC a ton of money. That's a settlement that they could they could get on board with. Um, and and I think that's the best thing. You know, I think if this process plays out, I think if there's an interlocutory appeal, I think that, I think Ripple would say we oppose it, but if you're going to allow it, we also want you to at least let us to, to do the institutional sales appeal as well. Uh, And if the case, if it doesn't happen, the interlocutory appeal case goes, trial happens, trials over next year, and it goes to a regular appeal. If um, if the SEC is going to appeal, then Ripple will be forced to appeal the institutional side of it as well. So absent a settlement, they will. uh, I mean, I, I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't. They will appeal that institutional sales ruling. I just think they're going to try and push that off as long as possible.
0: Very interesting, guys. And I'd love to run through this Stellar article real quick, but we got 325 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And while Ripple is fighting for their life here against the SEC, or at least figuratively, of course, Stellar dips into their treasury to buy a minority stake in MoneyGram, now making them the official blockchain partner of MoneyGram's money service. So this is huge news for the XLM community. The Stellar Development Foundation has become a minority investor and payment provider MoneyGram International. On August 15th, The Stellar Development Foundation's CEO announced the new investment, saying the decision would provide funds to MoneyGram was an easy one. The investment was made out of the uh, Stellar Development Foundation's own cash treasury, using assets set aside to support operations of the foundation. Now, what's so exciting about this news is this information right here. She did not state whether the investment gave the Stellar Development Foundation a seat on MoneyGram's board of directors, expanding that its digital business and exploring blockchain technology, will now run through Stellar. Most importantly, it signifies a redaction of MGI, one of the world's leading global financial technologies to become a digital forward leader in FinTech. Now MoneyGram has been working with Stellar as an official partner since 2021, but has actually been testing the technology since 2019. And in November of 2022, MoneyGram enabled US, uh, United States based customers to buy, sell and hold cryptocurrency, Via its mobile app. So that's just another massive development out of Stellar here. Really briefly, are there any other crypto projects that catch your attention? We talked about XRP through the whole episode. What do you think of articles like this with Stellar being, I guess, the sister company or sister project of XRP?
3: Man, it just seems that uh, wherever Jed McCaleb goes, uh, no harm ever follows him. Although when he leaves, that's when the, the harm of everything that he touched uh, hits. You know, it's just. I was laughing to myself when you were reading that and also upset at the same time because you could replace the words uh, Stellar Development Foundation with Ripple and change the dates to three years ago or four years ago. And he had the exact same article. I mean, Ripple, yeah, Ripple uh, had uh, he is the Teflon Don for sure. The the Ripple had their minority stake in MoneyGram. MoneyGram was doing the exact same thing when the heat got termed up MoneyGram even, uh, you know, uh, they are probably pressured to do so, but again, they, um, were, you know, probably had a little level of cowardice instead of courage because they filed supporting affidavits, you know, helping the sec in the ripple case. So, um, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm glad that XLM is doing that. I've got, uh, some XLM as well. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's a good project. From what I know, I'm, I'm not as deep into the weeds as I am on, say, uh, some of the other projects like XRP and some other things out there. Um, I uh, man, it's just frustrating that uh, you you see stuff like that because the same thing happened with Ripple, and you know they got they got torched for it. So I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad I'm glad MoneyGram is doing that. We'll see uh, where it goes, and it's it's positive and it's encouraging, but you know, it's just a big, it's another one of those question marks, like what is actually going on behind the scenes, you know, that you've got such a flip-flop going on with MoneyGram from XRP to XLM. Freddie, I'm going to go a little rapid fire Q&A, because I know we are running out of time, but
0: typically on these Wednesdays, we'll go as long as you'll stay here. So just let me know. This is a great question we got from one of our listeners. It said, Trump having more than seven million dollars we got to see some very cool information this week. Trump was found to be holding over $250,000 worth of Ethereum in a wallet registered to himself. The question that I have for you is all of this corruption did take place during President Trump's time as president. Now, he's not the one responsible for the SEC's corruption, but we like to paint the picture that if Trump gets reelected, we're going to see crypto become part of the mainstream conversation going forward. So, what do you think? If Hinman is found to be corrupt and Trump is a part of that whole ordeal, What's really next? Would it set precedent for ethical standards like Songbird says here? If they pursue Hinman, could we see more fair crypto regulation from that point forward? Uh,
3: No, I I think they're just two separate issues. I think that, um, well, I mean, it would be good in the sense that, well, because with Hinman, it's not necessarily crypto related it's corruption related and so that going after him and having some actual accountability would just kind of show everybody you know you can't get to that level of uh ethical breach and get away with it and that could go for anything um crypto stocks you know anything so i don't think it's it's necessarily that i guess there's a, a question on trump um you know, I, uh, I'm i of the opinion that, uh, you know, if you really look at what happens with presidents, I'll say that what's happening with the current president, actually, he's not doing that much different from the president before him. And actually, that president didn't do that much different from the president before him. And he didn't really do that much different from the president before him. Now, you can, you can say there was different uh, optics, different personalities, but if you really look at the laws that were passed, the money that was spent, the special interests that were showered, you know, it's an unbroken chain going back. I mean, you go back at least 50 years, um, probably even longer. So, you know, Trump didn't do anything for crypto when he was president and he uh, put Jay Clayton in there. Now, again, do I, I think he's anti or pro crypto? I don't think he really cares. Um to the extent that he does he actually he does get it and he said it once you know about bitcoin which is i like the us dollar um and you know he, i think he does know that making crypto stronger um or regulated i.e more legitimate will hurt the us dollar and there's you know terrible crushing knock-on effects that that will have for the us and the western economy but he hasn't done anything to show me that he's going to be pro crypto yet um i'd like it if he was i think Him having the uh ethereum in a wallet i don't think that's as a big a deal because i thought it was just the sales of his nfts and he sold them on the uh ethereum blockchain so that's just him accepting the money that you know you could pay for it in so um and you know i if someone tells him i don't think he takes a real deep interest in picking the people he picked that could all change if he becomes president again, because I'd be really pissed and I'd have a lot of revenge on my mind if I had to go through what he went through. Um, but his first administration, he didn't really think too hard about the people that he picked. And so if someone's like, pick this guy, and you know whether he's pro-crypto or anti-crypto, I don't think Trump would ever know. Well, CBDCs are
0: becoming more important by the day. And we have a video I'd like to show you of our uh, Congressman Warren Davidson discussing what Ripple's doing and even describing CBDC development as evil
1: not only is there this token XRP, here's what we Ripple can do for you. Uh, and the creepy thing that I don't like about
0: Ripple personally is that they're helping governments develop central bank digital currencies, which is evil. Um, so, um, but that's part of the pitch that they're, they're doing, right? So that's why it, it does look like, well, it looks like a certain amount of control being exerted by Ripple over how XRP can even function um, as a token within what Ripple's really trying
1: to develop for the institutional investor, so the pitch deck so you, really yeah. was different for them, and you know that that made.
0: And so the reason this clip is so important, Brad, is because regardless of who gets elected in 2024, central bank digital currencies are just around the corner. And I think whether it's Biden or Trump, Trump is going to be anti CBDC at least publicly, and Biden will be very pro CBDC. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Do you think we're close to an American central bank digital currency product? Because specifically, we've got it working in the Digital Pound Foundation. We've got one in Hong Kong now. If the U.S. doesn't decide to develop, we're going to fall behind. And these types of conversations are now hitting the mainstream. So in your opinion, do you believe what Ripple's doing is evil with CBDC development? And how far do you think we are from a U.S. product?
3: Oh, this is, I know you said this was rapid fire. I'm going to answer this quickly, but this no, is- we're this, on no time constraints here. So take as long this, as you like. Is, uh, in, this is, I, I've got a nuanced opinion on this. I guess first, I would say that uh, CBDCs are just a technology that can be used for good or evil. I, I could envision a way where a CBDC works that's actually very pro-freedom, pro-liberty, um, pro, uh, pro-individuality. Um, it, it would just be, you know, very easy, frictionless way to do payments. Privacy is protected. Um, that's definitely possible. Where do I put that on my list of probabilities as that's the type of CDC that'll get implemented anywhere. I I put it close to zero. I don't put it at zero, but I put it close to zero. I think what's going to happen is the, whatever CBDCs that get rolled out, you know, maybe they won't be exactly terrible. But they're going to be much closer to terrible than uh, than just average. I mean, I just can't. Um, I don't want to be uh, super black pilled here because everybody can change this. You know, if you get involved and get involved in your local, uh, federal campaigns, um, and, and see and become a one issue person, saying to your whoever's running or not running, this is all I care about. You know, what are you going to do? I, I got to stress that these politicians will hear that message if that's what you say. And I know it's hard for some people to say, well, I care about this issue and this other issue and and this politician doesn't align and I get it. Um, there's a lot of uh, issues that I'm, I'm like that on, but I, I'm going to be single. I was single issue last election. I'm going to be single issue this election. That's the only way to stop it. Getting back to it without that happening. And I, um, again, Don't want to be a downer, but unless we all change the way we kind of hold our government accountable, it's going to happen. You're going to get the CBDC that is great at the beginning, and then it's, hey, you got to use this in two weeks, or we're going to pull the money out of your account. Then it's, hey, you can't use it at these stores because they're not sufficiently patriotic enough. And then it's, hey, you can't use this money because you're not sufficiently patriotic enough. Um, now I don't think that's a a couple of years down the road thing. That's five, 10, 15, but you know, that is something that, uh, that's an open question for with bringing it back to Warren Davidson with, you know, what, um, what ripple is doing. And so I share his concerns. I wouldn't go as far out on a limb as he said, using the terms evil. I think that ripple is just reading the writing on the wall saying this technology is here. It's going to be used. I would love it if in their discussions, they're using it in that good way and saying, we'll only do it, you know, or, you know, this is just not part of our parameters for you to be able to do these X, Y, and Z evil things. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, how far they're going to play a role in that. Are they going to be completely agnostic? And it's going to be up to the central banks or governments to say how restrictive their CBDCs are going to be. Um, that's an open question. Um, I would hope, you know, I'd be certainly sad if Ripple got more involved on the negative aspects of CBDCs, helping those to happen. But you know, we'll just kind of see what happens. We'll just we just got to see how it plays. So, I get where Warren Davidson is coming from. I think the way he called it out was inappropriate and and incorrect. Um, but I I get you know if he just said I'm deeply concerned with CBDCs, they seem like they have a tendency to go towards an evil purpose. I hope Ripple doesn't do this. I would have been fully on board with that statement, um, but I I think he went too far. Johnny Crypto, this is an interesting video right here. And Fred, I'm, I'm
0: interested to hear your thoughts on a Bitcoin ETF because Michael Saylor has become a spokesperson for Bitcoin, and that was about five years ago. But now we're addressing how the rest of the markets are excited about this product. And right here, this is Tommy Lee, a very important financial figure, discussing how he thinks Bitcoin could reach 150,000 over the next 12 months.
3: The next year, let's say? Uh,
2: well, if the spot Bitcoin gets approved, yeah. I think the demand will be greater than the, the daily supply of Bitcoin. And so the clearing price, uh, this is done by Sean Farrell, who's our crypto. Digital strategist is is over hundred fifty thousand. It could even be like one hundred eighty thousand. But that,
1: that's only if the spot, only if the ETF gets approved. Yeah, and the US a,
2: a spot US because right. a, a spot Bitcoin ETF is approved outside right. the US.
0: Okay, but so what's exciting about this whole conversation is there's two things working in favor of Bitcoin. One, the US dollar losing value by the day is only increasing assets like real estate, cash flow businesses, and as well as Bitcoin. But number two is that these financial markets are untapped. When we see BlackRock, CME, Citigroup, all of these billion trillion dollar corporations put 1% of their allocation into Bitcoin, that's when products like these receive mass adoption and that's when we get what we're calling the greatest bull run of our lifetime, right? 2025 could be historic if we do see partners like the NASDAQ and BlackRock jump into the market. Broadly, I'd like to hear, what do you think could be the impact of a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States?
3: I go back and forth on it. I'll, I'll say this as a as an initial matter. I don't think there's any way there's going to be a Bitcoin ETF until this grayscale lawsuit is decided. So I think that, you know, people holding their breath that um, just because BlackRock signed up, um, you know, I don't think that's a ridiculous uh, position to have, uh, you know, because they're one of the big boys and they're now coming in with their own filing. But I just think that it would look so ridiculous even based on sec standards to approve a bitcoin etf while they are in the midst of circuit court litigation with grayscale about a bitcoin etf that it's it's preposterous to me i mean that's like just going uh, i can't believe i'm saying this but like that's just going too far even for me to the sec <laughs> to do that so now, um, that, that that decision is going to come out any day, any Tuesday and Thursday, I think usually is when the, the DC circuit drops their opinion. So it didn't come out yesterday, could come out tomorrow or um, you know next uh, Tuesday or Thursday. Um, but there, I don't think there's going to be any ETF until that happens. And then whatever that opinion is, is going to kind of implicate whether there's going to be an ETF soon or not. You know, it is interesting. To, I will say this: I went back and I looked at the uh, gold ETFs. Um, that was in um, the early or mid. Yeah, and so um, I didn't have time to go really deep, but I'm assuming that there were a lot of ETF applications, and the one that got through first was the one that was managed by State Street, you know, one of the largest uh, asset holders, uh, you know, in the world. So. I do think that, you know, poor Grayscale, poor ARK, I think that they're not going to get approved. The big boys are going to get approved first. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. As to what happens to the price of Bitcoin, everything wants to tell me that uh, everything in my body is telling me that it would shoot up as well. However, I just think maybe it's... It might not. And it's still more of that four year cycle, you know, again, because we look at these gold ETFs and I I just hear again, I'm not a trader. I'm not a financial um, analyst, but I've I've read enough articles for people talking about the suppression of gold and how there's this paper gold and notional gold. And I just get the feeling that that will happen to a Bitcoin or any ETF, you know, that has it that. There'll be all this fake Bitcoin out there and paper Bitcoin, um, you know, and at the same time there's the futures Bitcoin, but that doesn't seem like that really had a, a crazy effect on the price, either the the Bitcoin futures ETF. So I want to say that everything will shoot up, but something, you know, a part of me also thinks that it'll just be a manipulated uh, paper Bitcoin mechanism and that, you know, Bitcoin will still be on its four-year cycle. I'm just a big four-year cycle guy until, uh, until uh, it's proven wrong, just because I've seen it happen so much. And, you know, I say that during the last uh, uh, bull run, I remember, uh, you know, my wife was telling me, you know, when when everything was really high that we should sell. And uh, I, I, I vividly remember telling her, she's like, because you tell me about the cycle, the cycle, you always tell me about it. And I'm like, they were not at the top yet. And I, and I, I said this, I said, I didn't do this to make one to two million dollars. I did this to make ten to twenty million dollars, and then that first, bump, that, that first bump hit, and I was like, "It's just a retracement." I, I you fell into the phone. I didn't know. that's uh, it's just the second retracement before the double tap bottom. I tried to, you know, get whatever uh, words I could get from everybody I saw, and then I wrote everything all the way down to back. Even didn't sell a damn thing, so. I've learned my lesson, even though I knew that lesson going in. Um, I've learned that Thank lesson. You. Yeah, i learned that lesson on the guess is mm. great. Merlin can help me with that.
1: Yes, it um, can, my friend. You need an exit plan. Yeah, so, so that I'm gonna be do what we all did.
3: Yeah, so I'm gonna be ready for this one. And I just think because I got into crypto at the tail end of a of a cycle and then lived through the the last one that it's just, we're on that cycle. BT, uh, Bitcoin ETFs, whatever. Um, I don't think it's moving the needle as much as people think it
1: will. Last question for today's Listen show. Listen to the Brady.
3: wife. That is a good, uh, that'll get me out of a lot of <laughs> trouble. She
1: always has great advice. Listen to the wife, Freddie.
3: No, your <laughs>
2: wife is just like mine. She hears me talk about all these different things. And then when I go against it, she's the first one to point out I'm like, hold on, you have been saying for months now this, and now you want to do something different? And I'm like, She's right. And so I've learned to trust the wife, right? And so 100%, when this thing goes back to the top, you know you're going to see all these same things. I, what, let's say it does hit uh, 100, 150,000. That's when you're going to get those people saying it's going to 500,000. It's going to 600,000. Everybody in their mother is going to be calling you, telling you how you buy Bitcoin, how you buy this, how you buy that. It happened with the XRP thing, right? I've been telling the people to buy XRP. At when We were down at like, you know, 28, 29 cents, low 30s. And then I, I like cut it off. And when it hit 93, they were all calling me saying, how do I buy this thing? And I was like, hold up, relax. Like, it's going to come back down. Where are we today? We're at 59 cents. And so, you know, it's going to happen all over again, because those are the cycles.
3: You, know, you, you heard it here first. This time is different. <laughs> that's a great place. There's
0: one question I have before we end the show, Fred. First of all, let our listeners know where can they find you on social media, whether
3: that's YouTube, Twitter, whatever you're most comfortable with. Uh, right now, I'm just on X. Twitter doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and I'm at uh, at Freddy Riz uh, with a Y. You know, that's how the uh, men spell it. That's uh, IE is the female version. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that in jest to all you uh, that spell it with an IE. Um, and you can follow us. Uh, the law firm Hoddle Law is at HODL underscore law. That's really the only thing I do uh, social media wise. I probably should pick up and, and get on a couple other places and start doing a YouTube thing uh, one of these days. But yeah, we, um, you know, what we do at HODL Law is we help out anybody that's in the uh, crypto space small, medium-sized companies that are trying to figure out how to use crypto in their business or if they're a crypto-focused business. And then, you know, we also help out, um, you know, retail, individual investors, um, people that get screwed over by exchanges, people that get screwed over by hacks, um, you know, anything that has to do. We do a lot of work with um, people with NFTs and artists with NFTs trying to kind of do some uh, interesting things there to make sure they're legally protected with their work. Um, I'll also say, uh, even though, you know, this isn't uh, crypto related, before I was doing crypto law, you know, I, I help people that get injured by nursing home abuse and by medical malpractice, any type of injury. I just hate it when, you know, bad things happen because people did bad things. And, you know, I love helping people. So if any of those situations apply to you, Feel free to drop me a line either on uh, X, fka Twitter or uh, anything else. Um, where's HODL Law based? I'm in California. Uh, that's where I'm, I'm making my home now. I'm licensed in California and in Arizona. Uh, but, you know, I can, uh, I, 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 we help businesses all over, uh, mainly the U.S. so far. We've done a few international things. Um, so, Depending on where you are, if you're international, I may or may not be able to assist. But, um, you know, it's uh, luckily this business, you can go anywhere and help anybody with with doing anything. So there's not really, you know, I live in a a place, but I'm not really restricted uh, in that sense. Unless you want to get a lawyer where you can go across the street and say hi to him all the time.
0: Thank you, Freddie. And one final question. I know we're going back to the crypto remarks here. If you were to sit in 2027 or 2026 and look back, what do you believe is going to play out over the next couple of years for Ripple and crypto overall in the United States? I do think we're going to see a day, regardless of who wins the election, that the United States becomes extremely crypto friendly to the products that they can control, at least. What do you think? Two years from now, what are we going to be looking back and saying?
3: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that um, the only question in my mind is, you know, there's a battle going right now, just like in the internet days, when there were hundreds and thousands of internet companies, they all crashed, and only a few made it out alive. You know, the uh, Googles, the Amazons, um, Facebook was a little bit later on, but, um, you know, all sorts of um, competition. And so, Man, I, you know, I really hope even though there's a lot of um, utility for the XRPL outside of what Ripple's doing, you know, it, it undeniably helps that Ripple exists and that they're also using uh, XRP and the XRP ledger. So I hope that Ripple makes it through that, um, that competition. And so in 26, 27, we're looking back and, and they're still around. I think they will be just because they've diversified so much. Um, you know, I think that uh, I'm not as confident as you are that America will be leading the, the crypto hub. I think there's a very real possibility that um, uh, the U.S. puts its head in the sand on crypto. Everybody else, uh, a, a lot of the other countries decide we're going to get serious about it, and there's kind of a fight with the U.S. on it. And the U.S. loses, and you know the the U.S. dollar kind of gets crushed, or at least brought down to everybody else's currency level. At that point in time, everybody's more on an equal footing, and and uh, and we're sitting in a situation where you know we got a, a, a. It's probably a good, you know, it's probably a good thing in the in the long run. But you know, we've got a country that can't throw itself around on the world stage anymore and has to kind of be a respectful uh, uh, member of the international community as opposed to uh, getting a little belligerent, as it seems like we've been doing from time to time. Thank you, Freddie, And we're going to close this thing out the same way we always
0: do, by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny. Thank you to Gonzo. And thank you to Freddie Riz himself. We got 286 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thanks again, Freddie. We look forward to having you on another time in the future if you'll accept our invite. But we'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go.